Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, don't take no for an answer for your agency's data dive. I'm sure you hear all the time from federal people, we don't have data on that, as though that's supposed to end the conversation. No, you know, how are you then going to get the data? And flexing the cyber market muscle of the federal government. The U.S. government is a powerful influencer. Uh, much more so than the Kardashians uh, when it comes to uh, influencing the marketplace. It's Thursday, January 6, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Army Combat Capabilities Development Command has its first permanent chief technology officer. Charnetta Sams has been at DEVCOM for 25 years. Most recently, she's been chief of plans and programs, the Army Research Lab. NASA will hire a chief technology officer in its Office of Technology, Policy, and Strategy. NASA's Associate Administrator Bavia Lal tells FedScoop the new official will be responsible for building commercial partnerships. Lal says the agency will fill the job, quote, as quickly as possible. You can read more about all these headlines and lots of other stories at FedScoop.com. It's not too early to plan for IT Mod Week. It's coming February 28th through March 4th. More than 100 events will happen around D.C. Lots of government and industry speakers. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Comments are open now for the draft of the first-ever learning agenda from the Office of Management and Budget. OMB will take comments on the draft until the end of this month. Chris Mim is adjunct professor of public administration at the Maxwell School at Syracuse University. He's former managing director for strategic issues at the Government Accountability Office. Chris, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you think is important about this learning agenda? Maybe not even just the, uh, the agenda itself, but the way that they're taking comments on it and the the broader implication across the agencies welcome well thank you francis and as always it's great to be on the on the show with you um a, a little bit of the backdrop first and then before i get directly into the question if that's okay and that is that the you know the, the notion of a learning agenda is is obviously not new um and but there were statutory requirements put in place in the evidence act and but those are for executive branch agencies the, the you know the cfo act agencies the larger agencies as part of their strategic plans need to have a learning agenda in place that are linked to those strategic plans and they're to be based on the on uh, outreach to consultations uh, or consultation with stakeholders and the big policy questions that the agency is trying to ask and the, the backdrop on this is that those of us in government for many years and have been producing studies and analysis and collecting data we weren't getting that used and that you know part of that was you know well, we had a political culture that may not always use it but part of it also was that we weren't making sure that we were answering the big questions that decisions maker decision makers needed getting the information that they needed when they needed it in the format that best met met their needs and so i think you know now directly to your question one of the most positive elements of what the administration is doing with the PMA, and this is this is the 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 learning agenda for the management issues that they're that that they're focusing on is first the very fact that they're doing it is that they've identified and said there's a a series of big management issues that we need help of the broader community um, that's both federal, state, local researchers, you know, uh, not for profits, people that care about this, asking them to weigh in and give, you know, their perspectives, their advice, and then help them do the evaluations to fill our knowledge gaps that we need in, in order to, to address the big questions in the PMA. What are the big questions in the PMA that this learning agenda will help uh, agencies address and help the, uh, the federal government as a whole address? 
And that's uh, one of the other strengths, I think, of, of the approach that they're using is that they, they haven't tried to cover the entire you know, agenda. They're, they're looking at in a, a series of very focused areas, uh, three in particular, is that they're looking at how can the federal government strengthen and empower its workforce? And so that aligns, obviously, with one of the priorities within the PMA. Um, second, how can the federal government deliver programs effectively and build trust? And I think one of the key things here that's, you know, that's vitally important is the, the new and focus on administrative burdens. And in particular, they're looking at how can we minimize and, and reduce administrative burdens, yet still understand that we have goals for program integrity and limiting improper payments and, and recognizing there can be a tension there. And how can we bring those, those two initiatives together? And then the third um, big question that they're asking about is how can the federal government advance equity and support un undeserved community, uh, underserved communities? Um, so again, it's, you know, there's sub questions under each one of those that they're asking for people's input on. And, and it's, you know, that's on their, their website. Uh, they're asking for input by the 31st of January. And so I know your listeners are, are exactly the type of people that they're looking for to, to weigh in on this. And so um, for, with advice. So those three things are exactly aligned to the president's management agenda. So that's, I imagine, for a good government person like yourself, that's a, a, a really positive thing. Those are all questions, though, that other administrations and other organizations in the government and the legislative branch have all asked in one manner or another on an ongoing basis. Is there something that's different about this effort or is there something about different uh, something different about the conditions under which the government operates or we operate as a society today compared to other times or something that would cause you to think that we'll get different answers in these comments than we might have gotten at some other time. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question, Francis, and and you're you're quite right. It's you know looking at the big questions and even the sub questions. There's I don't think there's there's many that someone would slap their head and go, "Wow, I had never thought that we ought to think about empowering our employees or yeah. thinking about how do we foster innovation or something like that." So that all of that is is there. There are new areas, as I mentioned, or areas getting greater attention than they ever had in the past. Administrative burden being one of them. I think one of the strengths, though, is that even on these questions that have been asked a lot, where there a lot of work has already been done on on this and and um it will be just in a sense cataloging and bringing that all that together and i think that's going to be one of the big challenges going forward for as you know to build on the progress of the learning agenda is to is for omb or probably more likely gsa and its its responsibilities to either itself or facilitate a clearinghouse function you know based on kind of the, the all the what works clearinghouses that it that have been in you know in existence of just bringing together research across these various areas, what do we know? What are the what are those questions where we do have the answers, where there has been sufficient research been done? And then what are those with, that there aren't? And then how are we gonna fill those knowledge gaps? And that that's often been a missing piece is that, you know, people say, well, we really don't know. You know, I'm sure you hear all the time, with, you know, when you from federal people, we don't have data on that, as though that's supposed to end the conversation. No, you know, how are you then gonna get the data? Who's gonna get it? How are we gonna make sure that it's a, of necessary quality, you know, in order to answer decisions? That's all part Part of that, you know, building on the good progress that they've been making as the next step of that clearinghouse function of bringing that information together. Um, and you kind of then are going where I wanted to go next, which is what happens next? What what does this become? What is it a building block for when the comments are in and they decide to move forward? 
Yeah, and I think there's it's it's at least in in three areas. You know that uh, um, and, you know the first and the most substantive one is making sure that they that they are identifying what do we already know in answer to these questions, what do we don't know that we need to know, and how are we going to answer that question. And so, I mean, I think you know on the substantive aspect of that, I'm sure they'll get a, a lot of valuable input on that. I think second, though, and related to that is is continuing to maintain momentum and an open facing approach to this. Is that other administrations have done this. And so, I mean, you know, there, there are models out there, but I mean, I, I think it's important that they, they maintain the engagement of those that are going to be um, submitting thoughts and ideas. And one, you know, the most obvious way to do that is to show them that their, their input is actually being useful. It doesn't mean that, you know, you have to take every suggestion, but you do want to tell people, Hey, this is what we heard from you. This is how we're responding to it. And this is what we be able to do now. This is what we may not be able to do, you know, for a while. And so maintaining that engagement. And I think that the, the third thing is we've been discussing uh, is to show how they'll address the evidence gaps is to say, you know, where we don't know what we need to know, how very concretely are we going to do that? You know, who's going to do it? by when and and you know what sort of uh, analytic procedures are we going to use we you know once we have that information i think those are, are going to be absolutely key going forward all right i know that you are not retired enough that you will go and look at those comments i know you'll do it <laughs> absolutely and and i wonder what you'll look for in those comments and i wonder what you'll look for in the actual rollout of the final policy well, the, the first thing that i'll look for in the in the comments is is i'm going to be very interested to see how successful they were in getting good case illustrations, good ideas and thoughts from not just across the federal government, but they've also said that, you know, quite wisely, they said they're looking at state and local and tribal governments and probably internationally as well, especially on things like the customer experience. State local governments have been doing this for, for quite a while. So the feds have too, but I mean, for, for quite a while and have good information and good perspectives on how you do that. And so I'm going to be very interested in, in, in how broad is the participation and the suggestions that we that we get from that and then going forward the most important thing i think is going to be is to you know how how transparent is omb in or in gsa and how this information is actually being used in order to help inform the um in order to help inform the the pma i mean learning agendas just like the ones that we're going to see for agencies i mean those are great that's a you know a cool device but if it's just a, a pdf that at the end of the day kind of sits there and you know then then it's a waste of everybody's time. We, we need to learn in order to deliver products and services better. And that's the, that's the real litmus test. Chris Mim, great to talk to you as always. Thank you very much for coming on today. All right, my friend. Look forward to seeing you again soon. You can read more about the draft learning agenda in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. IT leaders from the Energy Department, the IRS, the State Department, and the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center at the Pentagon are coming to the Government Forum 2022. It's Wednesday, January 19th at the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City. You can read more about it, see the agenda in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Department of Homeland Security says it'll bring in hundreds of cyber professionals through its new cyber talent management system. But DHS and other agencies have thousands of cyber openings. Brigadier General Greg Tuhill, U.S. Air Force retired, is director of the CERT Division at the Software Engineering Institute. He's former Federal Chief Information Security Officer. Greg, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. The scale is the problem here and the ability to fill all the seats, both on the government side and the industry side. You mentioned right before we went on the air that there are two 
challenges, two problems that you see here. What are those? Welcome, Greg. Well, thanks, uh, Francis. You know, cyber workforce is a major issue for every organization out there. It doesn't matter if you're in government, military, industry, academia. There's a dearth of qualified talent that's out there. And I think there's two issues uh, that are out there. And the first one is we don't have reliable pipelines in place through our academic and training pipelines to meet the demand signal that's out there. And government, industry, academia are all kind of shooting around that target of trying to uh, create a broader pipeline the, uh, to make sure that we have qualified folks that have the technical abilities to meet today's demands in organizations. But I think the strategic problem that we're not necessarily working as well up toward is why do we have a workforce gap? You know, we've been automating like crazy uh, with all of our information technology, operational technology, and industrial control systems. And, and yet the products that we continue to buy demand exquisitely talented personnel with uh, huge training demands in order to properly install, configure, and operate these systems. Automation is supposed to reduce the amount of workforce depending you know, on, on the uh, systems. You know, we should be working with industry to produce better products that reduce the amount of workforce uh, demands in order to properly install, configure, and operate them. All right. That's a philosophical discussion more so than a tactical discussion, though, right, Greg? Yeah, I think it's strategic in nature, and it's something that's really at the heart of the issue. Uh, we should be shooting towards the center of the target as well as on the periphery. Can you make the tasks sufficiently simple in this very complicated, very complex world that a lot more people could do them a lot faster because the speed to market seems to be the big challenge here too. I think so. And, you know, the work we do here at the Software Engineering Institute has paved the way for better software engineering and uh, practices in building code. And ultimately, what we should be doing as an industry and as a uh, broader cyber ecosystem is putting the yoke of uh, the complexity into the, the code itself so that the code can shoulder the, the heavy workload and make it easier for the humans. You know, from a cybersecurity standpoint, we've been talking about, hey, we need to make cybersecurity baked into the code and it, as a default, as opposed to a feature to be either added on or switched on later. Mm -hmm. We should be building code that's secure by default, but we also should be making it simple to install, configure, and operate. So I think the frustration, though, for a lot of folks, Greg, is when I came into this space in 2006, people were saying that then. And here we are in 2022, and we're still saying that. Why? Well, I maybe I shouldn't pick too hard. I was going to say, why haven't we made that much progress? But maybe I'm assuming wrong. Maybe we have made progress and, and we just, it's that important that we need to consider it. I don't know. Set me straight I'm, if I don't understand it the right way. There's been a lot of progress made in many areas. You know, for example, you know, what, what I've got here in my hand, a, a, a smartphone, you know, I can download off the app store. I can configure it really quickly. I've got a plug and play capability that's out there. However, when it comes into the actual coding and the actual operation at scale with uh, IT enterprises, operational technology, industrial control systems, we need to get past the talk and get to the doing and making sure that, in fact, 
if I'm putting something to, to market, a product to market, it's secure by design, it's secure out of the box, and it's, uh, it's relatively simple to install, configure, and secure and operate properly. And uh, this is something that government can help the conversation with uh, working with the industry through public and private sector partnerships like CISA is doing. But I think, you know, as we put onto the agenda for 2022, uh, I, I think it's important that we take a look at complexity as one of the drivers in cyber workforce that is continuing to hinder us and, and limit our ability to properly operate, secure, and uh, make sure that our cyber ecosystem is as resilient as it can be. What has to happen in government to drive that simplicity? Is it just the buying of the stuff or is there some other cultural or structural issue that has to resolve? I think there's a combination of different things. Uh, first of all, I do think that the, the leadership needs to identify this as a priority for the government. And certainly through acquisition rules, uh, different uh, departments and agencies in the .gov and the .mil can uh, articulate their requirements to industry and industry will respond. Now, as we take a look though, and having served in industry, government spending represents only a fraction of the total available marketplace for the industry. But uh, the US government is a powerful influencer, uh, much more so than the Kardashians uh, when it comes to uh, influencing the marketplace. Thank God. So, you know, what we can do is, is as say the government, the government does have influence to help set the tone to uh, reduce the complexity, but also increase the uh, usability, the operability, and the security. Does the pandemic and the receptivity that government officials have to things that they wouldn't have considered even in February of 2020 make potentially the changes that you're proposing easier to happen? I think so. You know, I think there's a... uh, a drive with the remote workforce now and the the, the commitment to not only government, but uh, many businesses are making to continue the remote workforce uh, option after the pandemic eases. Uh, that's a, a significant driver because not every organization and certainly in small and medium businesses have the ability to go and issue uh, can, you know, devices and software to every single employee and then keep it current. It, it really needs to be a whole ecosystem that is out of the box, ready to go and easy to use and configure. And, and that is a business continuity issue, not only for government, but every organization. And that ecosystem idea, last thought, uh, Greg, is maybe the big driver here because you held up your smartphone earlier um, and that's the concept that commercial providers are pushing to the consumer. We want to get you in our ecosystem. And then once you live in that ecosystem, you don't ever have to leave it. And government's still thinking, it strikes me, we're still thinking about this stuff in pieces. Am I, am I on the right track there? Do you think? I, I think so. And, you know, portability between different ecosystems is a fact of life. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't want to necessarily be stuck in any particular vendor's ecosystem. I want to be able to get the best value. But that's really a business decision. And, and ultimately, you know, from my perch as the director of the CERT and my previous roles, you know, including federal chief information security officer, I continue to see complexity being the bane of security. 
Um, as a Star Trek fan, I, you know, I like to uh, refer to Captain Montgomery Scott, uh, former chief engineer of the Enterprise. So in essence said, the more complex you make it, the easier it is to break it. Our adversaries know that. They're taking advantage of this complexity and, and making it a competitive advantage for them. Uh, we need to make things simpler for the user and the operator and tip the scale in the favor of the defense instead of uh, abrogating it to the offense. Greg, great to talk to you. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on. Happy New Year, Francis. Great to see you again. You can read more about the Cyber Talent Pipeline in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Tomorrow's show comes Friday afternoon. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. 